Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Blackout Tuesday, and we're going to interview Chris Butler, senior pastor at Chicago Embassy Church. That's coming up next on The Common Good. everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a bunch of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's not only where we post our articles, you can also send us messages there if you have suggestions for future shows or topics. You can also find us Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And wherever it is you get your podcast. I know we say this all the time, and I'm first sorry. But secondly, though, <laughs> subscribing, rating, and reviewing to the podcast I can't express to you enough how much it actually does help and sharing it with a friend helps even more. So we're so grateful for those of you who already have and incredibly grateful for the Common Good audience. Before we dive into this topic of Blackout Tuesday, Brian, how are you doing today? Oh, what a complex question these days, right? Yeah, <laughs> it just feels like just a, like two weeks ago, all we were talking about was like, nah, beautiful weather. We're all just kind of in our backyards. Uh you know, I have like a, all sorts of feelings, and I felt like today I felt tired from just all that's going on, which, you know what, I just drove through Downers Grove, where I live, mm. and there's been, uh, they put up, they have a um, curfew for tonight, and they've boarded up, all of Main Street was being boarded up, and it wow. was just hard to see, and I know that that's going on everywhere. I know your town got, uh, had a lot of damage last night. And Naperville, and you know, it's all over the city. So, uh, you know, it's nothing peculiar, nothing special going on here. But it, it just was a weighty thing. I've got friends with businesses downtown, and seeing them out all boarding up after just opening last week was really hard. But you know, then you see other things that are that are really inspiring. Uh, the peaceful protests and what those look like right now when you see them on on TV or online uh, are inspiring. So it's a whole mix of feelings right now, man. Uh, I do uh, for my own town. I just feel sad that that kind of the uh, the negative element of all of that might be coming our way tonight. And uh, it's a little uneasy feeling. How about you? I know Naperville had had a long night last night for sure. Yeah, it was kind of surreal. And there was a lot of people going Facebook Live. So we were watching it again. I, I want to really? recognize at least some level of privilege because my wife and I were able to watch it via Facebook Live from the comfort of our own home. And even that felt oddly juxtaposed to what we were watching and we knew um, we knew it was a high likelihood that there was going to be some destruction of property and then also trying to process through some of that like my my brother Sam who I mentioned before on the show he, he posted something just a couple of minutes ago he said if you can understand the psychology behind self-harm you can begin to understand why people would burn down and destroy the places around them which was a perspective that I I never really considered before and you know there's so many different schools of thought you know, a lot of people are asserting that, like, the protesters are protesters and the looters are looters and they're not the same people. Other people are saying that's an incredibly homogenous way of thinking about it. That's actually not an appropriate way of going after it. It was tricky because I was we were watching it last night and my wife and I both were like, man, we want to we want to help. So we were taking shifts. And so I got up early to head down there uh, to start cleaning up. And I got there like a little bit before seven. And by the time I was there, it was like pretty much done. I mean, there was right? so many people and not even just people like cleaning, but also people helping the cleaners, people that had brought, you know, water or coffee or I don't know. It, it felt so oddly juxtaposed, though, because of how much our country is grieving, how much really our, our world is grieving and wanting to really like listen and step back yeah. and learn. But then also, you know, and I've gotten some 
private messages today, even from my post about the cleanup efforts and like issues with with certain parts of my language and things that you know they're suggesting I I tweak. It's just, I just it feels very very complicated right now. Which, and yeah, complicated is a good word for it right now. Yeah, and again, like really wanting to recognize that it again is a, p- a position of privilege to be able to say. Whew, that's really complicated. I'm going to take a step back from that for a second. Like even uh-huh. the freedom to take a step back from it is arguably a form of privilege. And the other thing that we, you know, we saw all over the interweb today was this uh, blackout Tuesday. I imagine you started to see people posting black squares on uh, on your newsfeed today, right? I did. Although, I, do you remember last week when the day that the George Floyd tragedy happened, you you were like, are we going to talk about this? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, because I kind of went on like a little bit of a social media pause at right. the wrong time. Right. Uh, so I've kind of gotten back. But yeah, lots of uh, lots of. So I feel like I was hours behind knowing what it was. But uh, yeah, a lot of it on my news feed, both on Twitter, but it feels like especially on Facebook today. Well, I, I posted a few links. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what it actually is? Yeah, you posted right on your own Facebook page about Blackout Tuesday. I found very informative. It's a movement started by two black women, Jamila Thomas and Brianna, excuse me, uh, Agemoni, to launch today, June 2nd. They've been sharing resources and urging those with a platform, especially those in the music industry, to use their platform to spread awareness. And you gave the link there, uh, the show must be paused dot com. And then uh, I'm reading your words, but you went on to suggest that. Uh, one of the suggestions they make is to not go entirely silent, but putting a pause on sharing your own work, art, writing, whatever, and instead use it to amplify organizations, books and movie recommendations, history, all sorts of other um, things that could be helpful for people during this time. So either go all black uh, or go uh, use it for something different than we normally use. And you also link some stuff here about Spotify, Apple Music, um I think Amazon, some other Amazon Music, YouTube Music, uh, Fox Music, all of them taking the lead and following the call to action to go black. And so uh, really yet another kind of nationwide movement. It's kind of the good of social media, right? Things that can spread through social media like this. Uh, And interestingly, just started by two women who said, let's do this uh, through the music industry. And it's kind of gone viral. Well, and that's what's tricky about it, too, because I saw a bunch of people posting and then I saw people posting just the black square and then the black square with some commentary, then the black square. But it was edited and had a hashtag or a symbol or a verse or a statement. And then I started to see other people respond. They're like, no, no, no. The, the point isn't to, like, black out social media. The point is to silence or pause your voice to elevate voices of color, which is part of the list of suggestions that I give there, you know, sharing, you know, movies or music or calling representative or donating or you know, all of a sudden. But also is tricky, though, is because I saw a bunch of people posting it with the hashtag Black Lives Matters and all the people that are from the Black Lives Matters camp are saying, don't do that because that just sort of clogs our feet and people are using that hashtag. They're intending no. to use it for helpful reasons. And by using that with your with your black square post is actually complicating the feed. And so don't don't do that. And I don't know. It's been so interesting to see how how quickly it took off. But also how quickly it became confusing and how important it yeah. is again. And we've talked about this before and I want to, you know, I want to be super mindful that you and I are two white pastors in the suburbs. So that, that part said that finding out the right information about what the cause is hoping to accomplish or where it originated or like what the best way to engage with it is. I imagine a lot of people are wondering like, ah, can I do that without taking heat from this side? Like, 
you got to yeah. do, you know, what you got to do. But it's it's just been interesting to see in just a half a day how quickly it's sort of like turned into a whole bunch of other things, you know? Absolutely. I think you using the word complicated is really good one. I don't know. Uh, last thing I want to say here is that I really was impacted by listening to those three pastors that we interviewed yesterday. Yeah, just, And I'm excited so. to interview more pastors today, both about what's going on in their communities, your whole thing that you were just talking about earlier about the complicated nature of protesters versus looters, but then just to hear their hearts for their for the city, but for their neighborhoods and uh, to hear from, oh man, I just, that really, I hope it impacted people out there, but I would have to say it really had an impact on me and uh, helped kind of cut through some of that noise. So I'm look, I'm really looking forward to talking to more pastors from uh, from Chicago today. Well, and that's, that's a perfect segue, Brian, and also probably a good point to say, hey, all of this is on the podcast and we post just the uh, edited interviews as well on the Facebook page. If you don't know what Brian is talking about, I cannot encourage you enough to go back and listen to yesterday's show, uh, mainly the voices of other black leaders in our city that have been so incredibly helpful. And speaking of which, coming up next, we're going to interview Chris Butler, the pastor at Chicago Embassy Church. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Also, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And wherever it is you get your podcasts, and Brian and I have been saying for the last week or so how we we really want to assume the posture of learners and listeners in this time. And so we're really thrilled to have on the show pastor at Chicago Embassy Church, Chris Butler. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks so much, guys, for having me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Would you just take a, a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, uh, I am, as you said, uh, Chris Butler. I'm the senior leader at Chicago Embassy Church Network. Uh, we have, um, uh, gatherings in, in the South Island Hot Park, uh, and in the, the South Shore area and then in, uh, South Holland, Illinois, uh, in the South Suburbs. And, uh, I also lead, uh, the end campaign here in Chicago and it's in the, um, the, the National Executive Committee of the AIM Campaign, uh, which is an organization that uh, is all about mobilizing Christians and, and civic uh, and politics with the with both the compassion and the conviction uh, hmm. of Scripture. Chris, we're really grateful to have you on today. Uh, just curious, uh, the last week or so, what's it been like for you personally? What's it been like for the people in your church? Uh, I will say it has been a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just a, a, a range of experiences and emotions. Um, you know, the, uh, the devastation that our communities have experienced over the last, uh, few days, uh, is not something that anybody would ever want to see. Mm. Um, but the, the devastation that black people and black communities have experienced, uh, for centuries, uh, is, is also something that, uh, is, is equally difficult to bear. Um, and mm. so it's, it's just been a lot. Mm. Chris, Brian and I are both pastors and we, I mean, 
I feel like I've been getting a lot of texts and emails and calls from people trying to navigate this, trying to understand, wanting to to get involved and other people feeling like I don't even know where to start. What would you say to the person that maybe doesn't understand why this conversation actually is so important for the church to have? I feel like I've heard a number of people say, like, shouldn't we just be focusing on, like, theological matters or spiritual matters? This is this isn't something that the church should be dealing with. What would, what would you say to, to someone who kind of finds himself in that camp? Yeah, I, I would say that this is uh, a a spiritual matter. I would say that this is a uh, theological matter and that this is a, um, you know, a, a, a matter of the gospel, right? We certainly know that you don't have to be involved with uh, with politics or anything like that to be a Christian. Um, but we have a mandate in the scripture uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and you, you, so I think the question that you have to ask when it comes to uh, uh, engaging this conversation and engaging in some kind of action, not everybody's action is going to be the same, but what I want if, if I were in this community or my community uh, were under these types of pressure, uh, would I want somebody to just sit back uh, and do nothing? Or would I want somebody to come and try to do something? And if you if you can honestly, if you can't honestly say that you would be cool with people doing nothing, then love your neighbor says that you've got to get engaged. So it's not that this is this is what makes us Christian, hmm. but because we are Christian, hmm. then we got to do something. Yeah. Chris, I love the mission statement of your church. Uh, it says it's to wrap our arms around Chicago and love the city to life in Christ. Uh, a great mission statement. How are you guys doing that currently, uh, like today? What, what are you? What is your church doing for the neighborhood right now? So we we're involved in a, a few things. One um, is what, what I call positive loitering. Um, so we, we actually started this tactic. Years ago, uh, it was actually kind of crazy when I looked at how long ago it was. Uh, but, you know, scripture tells us, uh, that we are salt and light. Um, and I think it was back in 2008, uh, that the Lord really impressed upon my heart in a time of, of, of spiking community violence. Um, that when there's darkness in the city, you don't curse the darkness, you turn on the light. So, we go out and, and we just fill a space. We don't confront a looter, but we just fill a space with prayer, with singing, mm-hmm. uh, with physical light, um, in, in order to try to tamp down on some of, of the uh, the violent uh, uh, stuff that's happening in the neighborhood. Uh, we're coordinating um, with other churches, uh, uh, protests and demands because. What, what we do realize is that it would be morally irresponsible uh, to condemn the the violent protests without also condemning the violent systems that produce the anger uh, that set the environment for the protest. And so we are working uh, with other churches to, to put together um, uh, demands and protests for uh, 
reformed in, in policing. Um, and then we have groups that are, that are involved with just uh, community uh, uh, cleanup right now, but I, I hope that what that turns into is a full scale uh, kind of rebuild. And, and, and I don't, I don't want to talk too much, but I, I think about in these days, I've been thinking a lot about, I grew up on the West side of Chicago uh, right. in the Austin neighborhood. And uh, when you walk on Madison street, you could see that it was like uh, a ghost town. And when you tried to learn about what happened on Madison street, the old guys would tell you about the King riot. Um, mm. So this is when I was growing up. So it was 1998 and folks, and the reason that it looked like that was something that happened in 1968. Uh, so, I'm very concerned in the congregation is working to make sure that we're not uh, 30 and 40 years from now uh, right. still trying to climb out of this uh, activity that we see today. Yeah. So you're going to stick around with us for one more segment, but I'm, I'm wondering with like the minute or so we have left in this segment, um, what are some ways that people can get involved wherever they're listening from right now? Yeah, I mean, so one of the, there are a few things I would put out there. The AND campaign uh, organized something in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis called Churches Helping Churches, where uh, folks were able to donate, and we distributed those funds to churches that were in low-income uh, communities, uh, and, 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 and mostly low-income communities of color. Uh, churches Helping Churches is, is still going, and I think is more needed than uh, now than ever. Um and so that's one vehicle, but, but partnering in all the things that I just talked about, uh, we need, we need partnership. We need support, pray for those things, give toward those things or come out, um, and, and work hands on in any of those things I just described. I love that. That's so good. The voice you're hearing is Pastor Chris Butler, pastor of Chicago Embassy Church. You can learn more at chicagoembassy.church. He's going to stick around for one more segment here coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us messages there. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Plus, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And Brian and I, this last week or so, really have been trying to take a backseat, assume postures of learners and listeners. And we're so thrilled to have, for a second segment, Pastor Chris Butler, pastor at Chicago Embassy Church in Chicago. You can learn more at chicagoembassy.church. And one of the things that we were talking about earlier in the hour is this Blackout Tuesday. A lot of people have been seeing these black squares all over social media. I'm wondering, can you speak to that a little bit more? Well, I have seen the uh, the Blackout Tuesday uh, post, and, and I think that every uh, form of expression um, that that is trying to lift up uh, the the issues of justice uh, hmm. is is important, um, you know, and and that is one form of expression. Uh, I, I certainly hope that. Um, as, as these things go forward, that, that, you know, much more strategic, proactive, future building, uh, things can be organized. And then, uh, if you, if you've seen it, one thing that is of concern, uh, is the use of, uh, like the, uh, the BLM Black Lives Matter hashtag, right. uh, in the Blackout Tuesday, 
uh, because there are folks and, and, and no, they, they are probably, they wouldn't call themselves a Christian organization. Uh, but I think, uh, on, on many issues of justice, uh, there is a certain co-belligerence there. Um, and I, I think it, it out of, out of respect for that movement that is using that hashtag to, uh, to coordinate efforts and to organize, um, Mm-hmm. Is I think it's really important not to, to hashtag uh, with those hashtags that folks are using to, mm-hmm. to organize because uh, a, a lot of what's happening on the ground um, you're not going to see it uh, on CNN yeah. um, and so those 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 efforts are important so mm-hmm. yeah. Chris, I wonder, uh, as people in your congregation or your neighbors, you know, fighting with despair and, and despondency, I'm sure they turn to you as their pastor, and that could be a big burden. What, what kind of words are you giving people who are feeling despair, uh, who, are, who, who are really struggling right now? What's your message to them? Well, you know, God really burdened my heart uh, toward the end of 2019. Um, that as we moved into the new decade, um, that he was going to begin to, to change a lot of things. Um, and I, I preached a few sermon series. I preached a sermon series called Reset. Uh, I preached a sermon series called Into the Future. Um, and I preached a sermon series called Next is Now. Um, mm-hmm. All about uh, going into uh, the, the future. And I think that what I, uh, would say and what I am saying to my congregants and to others, uh, who are reaching out and even how I'm keeping myself encouraged is to understand, um, that God is still God and God is still sovereign and God, God is not taken aback by COVID-19, mm. uh, by the execution of George Floyd. He's not taken aback by riots in the streets. Uh, he truly sees the end from the beginning, uh, and, and he is sovereign, and he has not left us. Um, and so where, this is what I'm preaching uh, on Sunday, you know, I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but what I'm preaching on Sunday, where there is Jesus, there is hope. So it doesn't matter what other kind of devastation is there, we have hope in Jesus, um, not only for the life that is to come, but even uh, for this life. That's really good. I'm, I'm wondering, could you, could you one maybe offer us some things that we could be praying for you all about? I want to make sure to ask that question because I think it's important for our audience to, to be praying with and for you all. And two, is there anything else that comes to mind when you're kind of fielding all these questions? Like, man, you just need to go read this book, or you need you need to go watch this film. Are there like resources that you time and time again keep pointing people towards? We only have a few minutes together, but are there other resources that you would recommend people check out? Yeah, for sure. So first off, I, I will say, um, uh, maybe selfishly, but I also think it's a very, very good resource. Uh, uh, next month, uh, a book that I co-wrote with Justin Gibney and Michael Ware mm-hmm. uh, is going to be released on InterVarsity Press. Um, and uh, it, it's called Compassion Conviction. And it really it is a great work about how do you get involved with issues of justice uh, from a truly biblical gospel centric way. Mm. Um, because I, I don't think that you have to leave off of the gospel, uh, to be involved in social justice. Um, so I, I think that, that this piece is very important. 
uh, uh, to, to read. Um, you know, and uh, there, there are lots and lots of good resources. I should have been prepared for that question. Um, <laughs> the compassion and conviction uh, resources one that comes to mind, especially on a show like this, because uh, you, you can find a lot of resources about um, thinking about justice and, and reconciliation and, and those types of uh, resources. Anything that John Perkins ever wrote, like Tony Evans, has written a lot about this. Um, so. Uh, you can find those things, but this volume that we wrote is a, is a very practical guide uh, to engagement uh, in a in an in a very biblical uh, way, um, but ve- but very justice oriented. Yeah. yeah, Chris, I'm wondering uh, what do you expect? Uh, Today, tomorrow, the next day, the short term in Chicago. What what are your guys' expectations for what uh, the next couple of days are going to bring? Well, I'm I'm trying not to have expectations, uh, but I can tell you what my uh, well, I guess my, my hope is my expectation, which is uh, the, a positive expectation for a good outcome. Um, and, and my prayer is that we will begin to see. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, not just the, the, the black church, but the whole Church of Jesus, um, stand up and in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, command calm in our streets and demand justice from our government. Mm. Um, I believe that as the church comes forward, uh, we really will be soft. And like, I don't think that it's just tactical. I believe in the spirit of God and I, I believe that there's uh, power in the gospel and I believe that the church really is, uh, salt and light for the world. Um, and, and I think that, that as the church pours out, um, we will begin to see, uh, the violence subside, uh, and, and maybe at this point see, uh, uh, a real turn toward a more uh, equitable and just uh, society, specifically right now, where it, where it concerns the, the culture of how communities are believe. Gosh, that's so good. Pastor, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Chris Butler, pastor at Chicago Embassy Church. You can learn more at chicagoembassy.church, and we'll also link to his new book. All that's on our Facebook page. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today, sir. Hey, thank you all so much. Hey, it's our privilege. We're praying for you guys. We love you guys. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And you might be tired of hearing us say it, but I got to say it anyway. In fact, maybe instead of me saying it, Brian, why don't you tell them where they can find us? Absolutely. They won't be tired of me saying it. So go to Facebook, (laughs) The Common Good Radio Show, The Common Good Radio Show, uh, online, 1160hope.com, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk, and our podcast. We are grateful for all of you who do podcasts. You can find that podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And, you know, selfishly, I would encourage you uh, with the interviews we've had the last couple of days with pastors um, and some coming up next hour. Uh, this is a time to subscribe to the podcast. Go back and listen to them if you missed them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are grateful for those of you who do that. 
Well done, Brian. I say that a lot, but I really mean it this time. That was exceptional work. Also, before we dive into this next story, which is all about this spike in new COVID cases, 19,000 in 24 hours to be exact. Real briefly, I want to tell you again about Thrivent. Thrivent.com is where you need to go. I've been a Thrivent member for like seven or eight years. I keep saying like seven or eight. I should figure out exactly how long so I can stop saying that. But somewhere in that ballpark, they're a wonderful Fortune 500 non-for-profit, but they're also a Christian organization. So I know when it comes to money, for me at least, that's been a really, really helpful kind of merging of these two philosophies, not not just to manage money well, but I want to give back and be generous. But I know a lot of people are looking for career changes. So Thrivent.com slash careers is a really great place to go. If you're even interested in learning more, checking it out. Plus, we've been sharing a bunch of stuff on our Facebook page. I highly encourage you just go like their Facebook page. They've been creating a lot of really wonderful webinars from homeschooling your kids to leading in the midst of crisis and everything in between. So Super, super grateful for Thrivent. Thrivent.com and Thrivent.com slash careers are wonderful places to go. Now, with this article, I, I saw a bunch of these floating around, and it just, the number just seems staggering in general. But there's like a two minute clip I want to play for you, and uh, then Brian Fromm and I will react. This weekend, COVID crossing yet another alarming milestone. Six million cases reported worldwide. And with more than 100,000 deaths in the U.S. so far, a warning from the CDC predicting that the U.S. could pass 115,000 deaths in less than three weeks. An urgent alert as demonstrations nationwide are organized to end police brutality in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. Many people walking close together, not wearing masks. Atlanta's mayor concerned infections may spread in the crowds. If you were out protesting last night, you probably need to go get a COVID test this week. Because there's still a pandemic in America that's killing black and brown people at higher numbers. In Missouri, a warning from authorities after a person who visited the Ozarks during last weekend's Memorial Day holiday tested positive for COVID-19. The local health department releasing a timeline of the person's whereabouts to inform people who may have been at the same locations. The person visiting various bars last Saturday and Sunday, including this packed pool at Backwater Jacks. The bar releasing a statement saying they will continue to take additional precautions throughout the summer to reduce risk. The mayor speaking out on the incident. This is not the kind of image that I think we want to be projecting. In Florida, Miami beaches were supposed to open today, but that has been pushed back. The CDC wants to remind Americans ahead of summer that if they travel or, for instance, go camping, they may expose themselves to the virus. We are not in the clear yet, George. Okay, Brian, so we, I mean, again, We've had a show for the entirety of this pandemic, and we've kind of done our best to stumble through being informed and having an opinion and sometimes changing that opinion. What do you what do you think of this news in particular? Uh, Yeah, I never know what to do with the numbers. Is it more testing? Is it uh, a spike? Uh, You know, what is it? But I do think it is fascinating around COVID because for the last, uh, gosh, month, two months, it feels like COVID-19 is all we've been talking about. Hmm. Uh, and and it feels like it's almost been forgotten over the last couple of days. And it actually feels appropriate that it's kind of been forgotten, right, with all uh, that's been going on in our country. But it has been fascinating. I do worry 
uh, for all of the crowds that we see right now. I do worry for, um, you know, some collateral damage, if you will, from COVID-19 coming back. But, you know, as we've talked over the last couple of months, uh, it still uh, hasn't has it's still some of it. It's it, it's just I don't know exactly what to believe. Right. It feels like my life is getting a little more back to normal as it relates to the coronavirus. And uh, but you don't know if there's any wisdom there. So, yeah, it is alarming seeing numbers go up, even uh, if people try to make explanations for it. What do you do with this information? I, I don't know what to do with it. You know, it has almost been nice to have the excuse of having little Mm -hmm. kids like i am probably not cautious enough of a person but having a family having kids has certainly helped make me more intentional about okay the mask and the gloves and better safe than sorry all all that kind of stuff what i what i find so tricky one is that every every outlet has an angle right there's i mean that's unavoidable that feels baseline two We've seen a bunch of division on this issue and part of what's so strange, like I wonder if we'll look back 15 years from now and just not believe everything that happened in this, you know, relatively short period of time. Like, yes, I know that a lot of these cases or these supposed spiking cases have to do to mass protests, but do those protests still need to happen? I mean, like it's it's not. I don't think it's a good idea to say like, well, they should just shouldn't be protesting. Like this is a, that's a massively important, huge topic issue, but it does feel like in some circles and you've seen some of it, you know, in your own cities, but we've also seen it with those pictures of people partying in the Ozarks, like feels like it feels like COVID was a season of a show we binge and then it was done. We're like, all right, we're done with that. And I'm like, we're not done with that yet though. That's not, but we've sort of, not only moved on to like very obviously very worthy things in the media, but some of the behavior that's shifted as a result. I don't know. It's very, it's very, very curious to me. And I have no doubt that like, we'll be reading the events of 2020 in history books years from now and telling stories. It just, it does like what you were saying. It feels like a lot to get your head around. It is mind boggling that we spent the last two months, uh, how much everything, if you had told us six months ago, here's what 2020 is going to look like. Right. And it's, uh, it's, almost three months at this point, right? If you tell us coronavirus, my kids are getting their school. Basically, they're not going to go back to school. Our church is going to be shut for eleven weeks or plus. Uh, and then uh, all of the dem- I mean, you just watched the news the last couple nights, and my wife and I, we had this moment where we were just like, like I literally can't believe what I'm watching. Like, right, and I, that's right. no, that's no like uh, determination of it's good or bad or just I can't believe what I'm watching in the last three months. I can't believe what we've been through. Uh, it is crazy. And, and I hope, man, I, I hope that uh, I'm an optimist and, and I, I want to believe that we could be on the good side of COVID-19 here. But, all you know, there's a lot of people out there who believe that there's still another wave to come. So uh, we continue being careful and and uh, continue to be prayerful and hope for the best. It is also I mean, like what happened to the murder hornets? The murder uh, hornets, yes. Do you remember them? Like, I feel like that <laughs> yes. That also just kind of disappeared. Are they coming back? Like, what? Oh, my gosh. They're, they're laying low right now, man. They're just kind of waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting <laughs> for their moment. Golly, man. It just – the other thing, too, maybe we'll talk about this in a future show. It makes it really hard to, like, actually sit and process one thing because it feels like yes. all these other things have kind of – but then again, this is part of why and coming up – in the second hour here, we're going to continue to assume postures of learners. We're going to learn from other leaders and voices of the community. But first, 
We're going to talk about something President Trump did yesterday with a Bible, some tear gas in the church. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about President Trump at St. John's Church yesterday, and we're going to listen to some local leaders about the events from this last week. That's coming up next on The Common Good. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, Brian, but I am in the treehouse again. Are you? Not nice. to not to rub it in, but it's also been so windy that whenever you're talking, I'm like blocking my mic with my hands. Has it been distracting? Are you okay? It is not distracting me one bit, so wow. I keep doing whatever you're doing. If I can get like electricity and indoor plumbing up here, I might not ever come down. Um, <laughs> a couple of things before we dive into the story. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's not just a Facebook page, not just any old Facebook page. You can see all the articles we're talking about. You can also send us a message if you have feedback for us about a previous show or suggestions for future shows. You can also review and share that page. That helps a ton. Plus, we're podcasted wherever it is you get podcasts. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing there also, and I really do mean it, helps us out a ton. We know a lot of people are looking for new podcast content, so if you wouldn't mind sharing that, that would be great. Plus, Instagram and Twitter, at Common Good Talk. All of that is super, super helpful. Brian, I am assuming that you saw the interweb explode with this situation with Donald Trump outside of St. John's Church. What was sort of your general reactions before we get into these specific articles? Uh, You know, it just felt... Um, ridiculous, but it also felt reckless. And mm. uh, I saw it after the fact. I didn't see it happen live. So I started seeing social media blow up a little bit and watch the news. Uh, so I wasn't watching it live. But uh, the the really bothersome part of it is the um, the using of force and tear gas to clear the crowd so that he could walk from the White House to St. John's. Um, and uh, a lot of people, there was actually a lot of clergy in that peaceful protest at the time. Uh, and then the clearing of the church. And it's so hard to talk about the president and not like um, everyone start yelling like uh, you're taking a side, right? Like that's always the weird spot. And, and let me just read this part from the Christianity Today article about this. Ed Stetzer, right? He writes something every day. So this is from Stetzer. And I just really appreciate it. He said, In the past, I have voiced my support when I've seen this president's administration do good things. I've worked with the administration towards good efforts on opiate abuse and mental health. Moreover, I've prayed for President Trump regularly. But what President Trump did on the steps of St. John's is what pastors around the country remind their congregations not to do. The Bible will be as useful to you displayed on the fire mantle as it will be held aloft outside a church. Jesus himself warns against this in Matthew 6, cautioning to, quote, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In other words, God is not pleased when we use the Bible as an ornament to be seen by others. And I think that's where it went from just kind of silly, crazy, not silly, that's the wrong word, but just weird uh, to bother some was he walked all the way over to that church and then just held a Bible up. Uh, And in fact, had it upside down, but just held it up kind of awkwardly. And it was clearly just for a photo op holding a Bible like you didn't read anything from it. And so you're left going, what's the point of this? What are we trying to show here? Uh, Who are we trying to appeal to in this? And was it worth all the problems in making it happen? And so, 
you know, that was uh, all parts of it were bothersome. You could imagine them in a bunk, you know, in, in their office going, well, here would be a good show of force. Let's go to the church that got vandalized and say, oh, we're still here. But to not even open the Bible and read it, but to kind of awkwardly hold it as a photo op was just really weird. And so to read these other articles of other uh, pastors and, and Christian leaders from across the spectrum say, no, that was that was wrong, I think, has been affirming for me. Well, and I think what you said at the beginning of Stetcher's quote was important, too, because anyone who's a follower of him knows that that's true. He actually has supported the, the administration when right. he's done things that he thought was good and has been, in a lot of ways, a, a bit of a prophetic voice in calling out. And I actually really loved what Reverend James, uh, Reverend James Martin said. Uh, he's a prominent Jesuit priest and author. Here's what he said in a statement. He said, using the Bible as a prop while talking about sending in the military, bragging about how your country is the greatest in the world and publicly mocking people on a daily basis is pretty much the opposite of all Jesus stood for. And then he adds, let me be clear. This is revolting. The Bible is not a prop. A church is not a photo op. Religion is not a political tool. And God is not a plaything." So it's one of those mm. things that when I first saw, I felt like oh, it just looks clumsy and awkward. But we all do clumsy and awkward things. And. The guy's on camera all the time. So, yeah, certainly a couple of awkward moments are sort of inevitable. And and then, like, the very next thought I had was, oh, no, 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 this is like, I think this is closer to the definition of using the Lord's name in vain than swearing. We talk, we tend to think, like, oh, it means don't, don't use God in a swear word or don't say I swear to God. I think it's actually more about, like, empty, opportunistic uses of God in his name for our own selfish gain. And this felt like that. And I'm. I'm wondering with this other article that I have here from the Atlantic, what do you, what would you say maybe are the people that aren't as rattled by it as you and I are, who are actually maybe were in support of the move? Like what would you imagine some of them are thinking or saying right now? Yeah, that's a great question because I have thought about that because, you know, it feels like this should be pretty across the board. Like even if you just want to call it clumsy, like you said, I had that same feeling at first. Like, that oh, was just weird. That was just kind of clumsy. Right. Um, even if that's your take, it should still be bothersome once you saw it. It's just there to hold up the Bible and take pictures. Um, ben Sass, who's a Republican, uh, who I respect, he said the Bible should never be used as a prop for a photo op. Um, and so uh, a reporter even asked, is that your Bible? And he replied, it's a Bible. Uh, yeah, and right, so right. I think uh, if you're going, hey, at least uh, it was a show by the president of uh, I support this. I just think you need to think about what was he trying to accomplish with that move? Like what was trying to be said in that moment? Like, uh, again, it would have been one thing to go over there and say, Hey, I want to support this church. Let me read a passage from here and maybe pray uh, and then go back. That could have been something, but um, the, the, what it took to get there and the people who were tear gassed and other things uh, for what most people call a political stunt. Right. Uh, I, and, and you have to ask yourself, what was he trying to accomplish with that? Who was he uh, trying to signal to or to reach in that moment? And I think it's pretty obvious. And so uh, I th I think if you were like, yes, go, because you're normally here's the thing. None of our politicians are perfect. So even if you're a Trump guy or girl, that's OK to still say, yeah, but that move was inappropriate. What just happened there was you don't have to agree with the guy 100 percent of the time. Uh, and I and I think we can agree with that. And I think, like uh, Stetzer said, uh, you know, we use we we have to be careful where we do this in our own lives as well, using the Bible as an ornament or or something else. But yeah, this time, 
Well, that's yeah, kind of what that's kind of what I wanted to ask too, because there probably have been times that the Bible in our churches has been used more yeah. as a prop than anything. Like, oh, we should have a Bible on the table here for this conversation, or make sure you have it in the shot there. Like that that was sort of my third thought. So the first thought was sort of like, oh, that was awkward. Second thought was, yeah, I think. And then again, agreeing with Reverend Martin, like that just feels like exploitation. And the third was, oh, shoot, when when maybe have I been inclined yeah. to do that? Because then you have so this Atlantic article, they uh, they interview Robert Jeffress, who we've talked about before. He said, I thought it was completely appropriate for the president to stand in front of that church. And by holding up the Bible, he was showing us that it teaches that, yes, God hates racism. It's despicable. But God also hates lawlessness. Did you get any of that sense that 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 no. is what was communicated by, by him holding up that Bible? Not at not at I didn't like if that was the message that was supposed to be sent, then read the passages that say it or or say, hey, in this book that I'm holding, here's what we hear. You know, it's not the silence and just holding it was just awkward and weird. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I get the people again, you don't have to come to the defense of the president or go against the president at every turn. Right. Like none of it. Nobody's perfect. And so, uh, you know, you don't have to search for ways to make it OK, because. Uh, it was just weird to hold up the Bible, take uh, take pictures, and then walk back. It was just uh, a weird use of Scripture. That's all it was. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, and I think it's um, well. Let me just read how Stetzer ends his article because I thought it was I thought it was well said. He said, "By definition, evang- uh, evangelicals have a high regard for the Bible, but the authority comes from the words inside." I hope that the backlash from yesterday is a reminder to all of us that we need less pictures of Bibles and more actions that flow from the Bible's teachings. We look to Scripture to change lives, not to score political points. Our nation is in crisis, and the last thing we need is a closed Bible. I thought that was pointed Mm -hmm. and most certainly in line with sort of that prophetic voice that I've been talking about. So as we've been mentioning the last few days, Brian and I are really trying to assume more a posture of learner and listener, especially in light of many of the uh, events of the last week or so. And so for the uh, for the remainder of the hour almost, we're going to have a couple of interviews from really, really wise, timely, passionate leaders here from the city of Chicago. And that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post articles. You can send us a message. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good and wherever it is you get podcasts. And Brian and I have been saying for the last week or so, how we really want to kind of step back and talk less and really assume the posture of learners and listeners. And we're really excited to have Romel Williams, pastor and, uh, and leader here in Chicagoland on the show for the very first time. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Would you just take a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Uh, my name is Romel Williams, Jr. I am the senior pastor of the Lilydale Progressive Baptist Church on the south side of Chicago in Roseland, in, Rose, in the Roseland community. Uh, my church is located at 10706 Michigan Avenue, uh, and I have had the privilege of leading that congregation for about 16 years wow. mm. and uh, am very, very excited to be on your show and very uh, interested to dialogue with you about yeah. these strange and exciting times mm. that we find ourselves in as the church. Mm. Absolutely. Romel, we're, we're really grateful for you taking the time to join us. Let's just start there. 
Uh, could you just give us a window into how the last week or so has been for you and for your church? Uh, the last week, honestly, has been incredibly painful. Mm. Uh, it has kind of been a bad to worse situation. Mm. Uh, we are all in a quandary, uh, literally having an equilibrium thrown off of our lives, mm. trying to navigate this global pandemic. And then to be reminded of the ever-present racism that I believe to be a foundational part of the American system mm. uh, in such a in such a blunt and verbose way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a very interesting background. My parents are both retired police officers, and so I actually watched the George Floyd video with my parents, mm, uh, both wow. of them just broken terribly by it. My mom in tears, my dad frustrated. It, it was just, it was unbelievable. Uh, the fact that the man was completely subdued, begging for his life yeah. and to just watch life pass from his body uh, while the knee stayed on his neck. Mm. Mm. So it's, it's been interesting for me and my congregation because uh, it has forced me to reconsider all of who I am wow. as I try to process forward wow. this strange pain. And so what I mean by that is to watch what has transpired was, first of all, uh, deeply disturbing as a human being. Secondly, It was frustrating as an Mm. African-American, but then I had to process it as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mm. my faith has had to have some conversations over the Mm. last week with my feelings. Mm. (laughs) Wow. You bring up a really interesting point, too. And Brian and I have been trying really hard to not only process, but to, to listen, to be quiet to learn to be an advocate, to learn to stand in solidarity. And one of the things I've been reading a lot more about is systemic racism. I feel like so often a lot of us are raised that racism is just sort of this one-to-one personal individual thing. And I've been, I've been trying to really learn more about the systemic nature of racism, which I heard you talk about briefly there. Could you talk a little bit more about what you mean by systemic racism and maybe how sure. the, the Christian experience intersects with that? Yeah. I mean, when you consider systemic racism, you think about the fact that um, my people were brought here in 1619 on slave ships. And for all intents and purposes, America was built on the black on the backs of black people. Mm. And inside of our Constitution, we're considered less than all human. Mm. And so, again, something that is foundationally a part of something from its inception becomes very difficult to do away with. Uh, My hope is that we can change policy so that equality is reflected in it. But the truth is that, you know, any manner of things from redlining Mm. to food deserts to uh, educational restrictions uh, to predatory lending 
all of these issues uniquely face the African-American community, and they are a consequence of the systemic racism that is America. Mm. Mm. So understanding it as a system, uh, and I really appreciate you helping us understand that. Um, where's your hope? Do you have a hope that the system can be changed? Uh, my hope is, is honestly not, it's not in the changing of the system. My hope is in the changing because for me, racism is twofold. It's systemic and it's relational. Right. Mm -hmm. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, my hope is not in the rebooting of a system. Mm -hmm. It is in the reconciliation of relationships. That's right. And I think that's one of the huge issues. There is no one person who can do one thing to end and cure racism. You know, we can't get a cure for COVID-19 and drop it in the Chicago River and <laughs> tell everybody, drink some fossil water and you'll be good tomorrow. Right, right. Mm -hmm. COVID-19 has to be treated one case at a time, mm -hmm. the same way racism does. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of my big things is it continues until we decide to start actually living as a consequence of the gospel that we preach. That's right. If we believe that the kingdom of God is multicultural, that the church of God ought to be multicultural, and ultimately that the city of God will be multicultural, then we've got to stop being okay with all white bits and all black that. Hmm. We've got to stop being okay with the segregated nature of our worship experiences because what is uh, customary for you differs from what is customary for me. If we truly have Christ in common, we've got to learn how to come together, not just in a sanctuary, but also in our homes, also in parks, anywhere right. where people gather, we've got to be deliberate about being the church. And it's not easy because right. beyond racism is prejudice and discrimination. Mm -hmm. and, and a big part of that is I have prejudged you. You have prejudged me. And then we've all, whether we want to admit it or not, thought, acted and or behaved discriminately toward mm. other races. Mm. And so it gets to the point where we have to begin to one relationship at a time, seek to tear down those walls and those barriers. Right. I said to a friend last night that we are not, because here's the thing, we'll, 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 we'll have conversations like this. Well, this black person is okay. Right. As if I found a good one. Oh gosh! In my search, right, right. Uh, when the truth of the matter is, we aren't growing relationally until we're able to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Mm. And I said this to a friend last night: until we're able to actually laugh about our differences mm. and some of the prejudices, to, to acknowledge them and to say, "Man, that's really absurd." Right. Because the issue is this. People are people. Right. Everybody alive, whether uh, caught in an upside down system or quote unquote benefiting from white privilege, everybody alive is trying to 
raise their families, right. mm-hmm. make a living, you know, and we all have the same fundamental problems. Yeah. You know, I, I said to a group of pastors last week, the problem in America is not racism, it's sin. <laughs> and the issue is that when you can get distracted to the point where you're trying to inoculate fruit, mm. you still miss the root of the problem. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's really good. America that needs new policy. America needs to really believe in Jesus. That's right. So good. You know, this is a post-Christian America that we live in. Mm. But even the one that the founder father started had a concept of imperialistic Christianity where you're kept in your place. It's as if certain passages and whole books of the Bible didn't exist in their theology. How do you read Paul in Philemon and don't see mm-hmm. that the slavery that underwrote the Roman system is something that should have been canceled out by the Christian faith? Mm. That's really good. I'm wondering, in like the, the minute or two that we have left, Two questions. One that I get a lot that I feel like I'm answering a lot, especially from Christians, is why are we saying black lives matter? Shouldn't it be all lives matter? Can can you address that briefly? And then lastly, how, how can we be praying for you? How can we be advocating, standing in solidarity with you for us and for our audience? How, how can we be praying for you guys? Yeah, I can address that. I read a quote today that will help me address the whole all lives matter. Uh, the quote said this, telling a black person that all lives matter is like telling someone who lives on Skid Row about the money on Wall Street. Hmm. Hmm. So the reality is this. It goes without saying that all lives matter. Yeah. But we are seeing the lives of black and brown people snuffed out on our television. That's right. We are not watching, and this is not, listen, this is not a new story. Mm. You know, you you think about the incident in Central Park last week, Mm. and then you think about the woman who held a lie for multiple decades Mm. and finally comes clean. Right. Emmett Hill is dead, and he never said nothing to me. But she weaponized her whiteness. Mm Mm-hmm to get this boy killed. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting story for me because his mother taught my mother in grammar school. Wow. Wow. And so that's the real issue. The real issue is when we watch a video of George Floyd, when we watch Amy Cooper, we understand that we could have been on the other side of that. That's right. I, I listened to that 46-year-old man crying for his mother who was deceased. And all I could think about was the fact that I have two sons, six and 12, and I was just overwhelmed with the idea that my sons could be murdered in broad daylight by police officers Mm. and no one do anything about it and just stand there and watch. My goodness. Pastor, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be with us today. I so appreciate your wisdom and your perspective. You've been listening to Romel Williams Jr. He's the pastor of Lilydale Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. I 
can't encourage you to go to the website, lpmbchurch.com, and learn more. Thank you so much. We're praying for you. We love you guys. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us a message from there if you have suggestions for future shows or topics. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. Really, really grateful and excited for a repeat guest, Dr. Michael Love. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to hear your voice, Ian and Brian. Oh, Thank likewise, you. likewise. Uh, for people who maybe don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself to our audience briefly? Oh, sure. Very quickly. I'm I'm uh, I'm Dr. Michael Love, Bishop Dr. Michael Love. I'm the senior pastor and founder of Trinity Baptist Community Church in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Uh, we're going on 30 years now from founding this church, and also the uh, CEO and chair of the Love Family Christian Foundation with our corporate site in, in Elgin, Illinois, at the old Masonic Temple building. Hmm. Those are the two hats that I wear <laughs> from the Christian family. There you go. And uh, we're, as Ian said, super grateful to have you on with us. Uh, we've been asking each of our guests over the last couple of days, just what has the last week been like for yourself, for your church? Help us uh, understand how it's been for you. Yeah, the, the, the culmination of being in the midst of a pandemic and and making all of the uh, the changes that need to be made to stay in touch with and reach our audience, our, our congregation, and our extended uh, e church, what we call our e church, our social media mm. and the media audience. It's, it's been it's been a little challenging, but it's been a great opportunity, and we found that we've reached many more people uh, through our through our radio ministry, through our social media ministry, even through our uh, TV broadcast podcasts that are out there still being podcast on TLN, and uh, and prayerfully, it stirred up a real hunger in, in our congregation that even though we're somewhat uh, somewhat isolated, uh, we, we still have a heart and a hunger to get back together as soon as possible and to maintain a sense of contact. So from the pandemic standpoint, it's been a, been challenging, but it's been a great opportunity that the Lord's worked through. Mm. On the second phase of that, to have this, um, you know, to have this event, uh, this social justice event take, have, take such center stage in the midst of that has has had kind of a little bit of a three-pronged impact on me personally. It's, it's, uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of saddened, like everyone else, I'm sure, it's saddened my heart to see uh, this type of uh, injustice take mm. place and the heart for the hurting just kind of wells up. The heart of Christ just kind of wells up and, and wants to make sure that, uh, that God brings about the justice that's needed for us to see in, in handling these issues here. But secondly... It's made me focus in on the the importance of the discernment that God gives. Mm. Uh, uh, we we need to know that continue to remember that this is a spiritual battle that we're in, being played out in a cosmic setting here, and so the enemy will always find a way to get in there and try to hijack uh, e- even a, a worthy cause that's taking place. So you see the looting and and the, and the damages that takes place, mm. and, and it's trying to skew the vision of the mission that's being taken place even in the margin. Mm. Um, and thirdly, it, it brings out that uh, the question in my mind and the passion in my heart of what is what is God doing in this moment in history? Right. How is God going to mm. show up 
in this very special time? And how can we as a church, believers in Christ Jesus, uh, uh, serve through kingdom service and sharing the good news and living out that gospel in front of this world? And what would he have us to do? So it, it's kind of got me on a three-pronged approach yeah. on and looking for God's guidance in this process Yeah, no kidding. Uh, as I think about it. That's so good. I want to ask you about that that second prong. Actually, can you speak a little a little bit more to the the spiritual warfare component that you see at play in the midst of all of this? Sure. I, as I as I think about it, uh, I, it's it's clear that obviously we, we, it's clear that sin that uh, racism is sin. Yes, right. And that sin is systematic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's designed in us clearly, and. When you get into that fallen component, and even if we try to, uh, even if we try to act our way into right acting, if we try to live out holiness, uh, a world that's that's sin sick, a world that's got a fallen nature, will always fall short of that. And and in the spiritual warfare component, as I look at it, it's easy for the enemy to find a way to step inside of a of a situation and skew the meaning of it, or. Mm. Uh, or, or even steal the message from it. And it just looks, it just has that appearance to me when you have forces that will come from the outside and will, rather than standing for, uh, you know, standing for right actions for, for justice and in and a, and a, and a hurting and a sad situation, will turn to destroying the very property and damaging the very people that, that you're trying to help. Mm-hmm. And it just it just continues to sadden, and you have to be, you know, you have to seek God's eyes and His guidance and His vision and His understanding to really see what's going on with a clearer eye. And that's kind of the position that I've kind of stood back and tried to, uh, for lack of a better word, tried to discern, try to understand, yeah. try to seek God's wisdom and guidance. On. Mm. Yeah. Uh, how has that kind of how has that kind of played on your two hearts as you viewed it? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Brian take that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bishop Love, I, I so appreciate your wisdom and uh, the idea that, uh, uh, that as fallen people, that, that sin just gets in the way and is such a struggle. I, uh, I'm something Ian and I talked about yesterday is just the learning we're able to do from the various pastors that we've had on. And I'm so grateful for you. Uh, I did want to ask you a quick question, Bishop Love. Uh, you were the mm-hmm. you were or currently are. I'm not sure the executive chaplain for the McHenry County Sheriff Department. Uh, chaplain, that's true. Uh, how has that been? I, you read so much about uh, you know the police right now, and what role have you been able to play there? And uh, what is your hope uh, for the police at this time? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, so I've, I've actually been serving as volunteer. Uh, executive chaplain since 2000 mm. uh, out here in McKinley County. And we've got a large team of volunteers that serve in, in many different ministry functions out here. And uh, it has given me an opportunity, a privilege, an opportunity to be able to speak directly to leadership, uh, to to, uh, to the sheriff, and even on the local city police standpoint, the Crystal Lake City Police, to have a relationship mm. there and to be able to be, a, to be available to them uh, on an ongoing basis to develop relationship with them so that, as I've told, particularly this, the Crystal Lake police chief here, who we meet with uh, almost quarterly to pray with him, mm-hmm. some pastors here in Crystal Lake, a point to him early on was if 
if we have the relationship and we have an understanding and we're sharing, you're sharing the, our heart and our need. Oh, goodness. I can't believe my phone's ringing on you. Then you won't be waiting until you do an emergency situation to have to reach out and call on mm. me or call on us. You'll have a relationship with us mm. and we can be talking ongoing and, and, and working for ways to improve not only the relationship between police and community, mm. but the relationship between the church and the police department and the sheriff's department and the communities that we serve. And that's paid, that is served and paid benefits for us over the years. Right. And so it's, it's easy for them now to reach out yeah. if there's a question or reach out if there's a concern or reach out if there's a need for counseling mm. or, or advice. And we can sit down and have that, and we can and we can be praying for him ongoing, praying for that leadership team mm-hmm. ongoing. So it's been a real benefit yeah. to have that ongoing relationship. That's, That's beautiful. Awesome. I love that. All right, so with like the minute or so that we have left, I'd love to ask you really kind of a two-part question. One, how, how can we be praying for you and your family and your church and community? And two, how, how can we be standing in solidarity with you guys? How can we help? How can we be... Uh, a voice. What What are the ways that we can be both be praying for you and and standing alongside you? Yeah, yeah. We, we're blessed. We're we're blessed to be a, a multicultural church, and we're blessed to have been here for thirty years now, mm-hmm. and continue to pray that the Lord will, will will bring unity not only to our body but allow our body to symbolize in, uh, the unity of Christ outward toward not only other churches, but to the community that we serve. We want to be that thought-like and, yeah. and, and, and light-like type of, of, of body and, and people and, and community that can really make a difference and can set a symbol in front of the world that Christ is not only good, he's necessary, he's graceful, he's gracious and he's merciful. Yeah. And to be able to speak in and touch those hearts with the heart of Christ. So please, please keep us in prayer for that, Absolutely. Uh, as we would do for you and your churches in the communities that you serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the core piece, I think. Uh, the, the fundamentals and the practicum of that, the Lord will work it all out as you lift us up in prayer. I love that. Well, well, Dr. Love, I personally am grateful for you and your voice and yeah. your friendship over these last six years. You've, you've been an incredible brother and a friend, and we are most Certainly praying for you. You can learn more at trinitybcci.org, Trinity Baptist Community Church International. That's trinitybcci.org. And you've been listening to Bishop Dr. Michael Love. Thank you so much, sir, for taking Thank the time. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Yep. Great to be with Likewise, you. Likewise. Our, our pleasure. pleasure. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. I am so, so grateful for the amazing guests we've had on today's show. I'm looking forward to a bunch more amazing guests in the uh, days and weeks to come. So grateful for them and their voices, the opportunity to learn. Just to say it one last time, if you miss anything, you can find the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review, go to the Facebook page, read the articles, send suggestions. We want to learn. We want this to be a place for us to collaborate together. And uh, I found this article, really a Facebook post from Jeff Holtzclaw, who we've had on the show before, that I just want to kind of end the show having Brian read it because I think it's just really, really timely and helpful. I I appreciate you putting this up here because it's so good and it's so much how I'm feeling right now as a pastor. So let me read it. Hmm. Uh, To all church members in America, your pastor loves you. Your pastor is not a politician. Your pastor is not running for office or looking for votes. Your pastor is not putting together policy according to party lines. Your pastor loves you. 
They're trying to make choices and say things to lead an entire group of people into space of God's work during an extremely difficult time in the history of our nation, a nation racked by a pandemic and set fire by racism. You might not like what your pastor says or didn't say. You might not like what your pastor did or didn't do. You might wish for something more or something less, but your pastors love you. They're trying. They're doing their best. If you're at a church with many people on the opposite ends of the political spectrum, then you have a good pastor. They're probably good at loving different kinds of people and drawing them all into one family of God. It's tempting to think that a church with people with different political perspectives is failing to clearly communicate its values. It's tempting to think that because you don't agree with your pastor on everything that you probably need to find a new church. Instead, what it probably means is that your pastor is good at loving people, listening to them, understanding them, and helping them feel felt. If you're in a church where you always know what is going to come out of your pastor's mouth and you happen to always agree with it, then your pastor is probably better at politics than at loving you. But chances are your pastor loves you. Just please remember that. So powerful, Ian, with like the 10 seconds we have left. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And so thanks to Jeff Holtzkoff for that. Thank you uh, for the wonderful guests we had today, Ramel Williams, Dr. Michael Love, and Chris Butler. We are really thankful for you. Uh, You can join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.